everyone, this is Zain Sharma, the Director of Pioneer Missions and School of Missions with Kingdom Vision Global, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. To receive more updates from us, please do visit our website, kvglobal.org, or find us on our Instagram page, Global School of Missions. Today with us, we have Josiah Centeno, and he'll be sharing with us on overcoming offense. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that through the prophetic vision and through your heart and your desire for us, that God, wherever there are hooks of offense, wherever there are things that are ripping our hearts apart and pulling them in different directions, Father, I pray that with your word, you would cut the strings, the ungodly ties to things that are toxic, that you would remove those hooks in our hearts and that you would sew us back together, that you would mend the broken hearts with cords of loving kindness and tender mercy. Jesus, we need your care in the places in our hearts where we have been wounded and where we desire to be healed. So Lord, this is not simply about healing us, but it's about making us whole, making us like you to we conform to the likeness and image of Jesus so that when the world sees us going through offenses, they see Jesus blameless, humble, loving, and kind. And we want to be seen. So we love you and we thank you for the miracles in our hearts that you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's get started. I'm going to teach some things, and some of these things won't be new, but I pray that God gives us a new look and a new perspective on these things. And so Danston asked me to speak and minister uh, about deliverance and from offenses, so how to be healed and how to be delivered. And uh, I, I, I want to start by defining what an offense is. So this is the definition of an offense. Put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall. To cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom ought to trust and obey. So it's putting an obstacle in the way to really prove what you trust in. And so what we're learning and what we're going to learn and what you might have already learned is that there's a stumbling block from you moving in the love of God. And that stumbling block is an offense. And hopefully by the end of this, we will understand that Jesus was known as a stumbling block for many people. He was an offense. And so we might begin to reinterpret an offense as not being a bad thing as it being something that matures us and grows us in love. And so the first part, I'm going to break this in two parts, and it's going to be deliverance from offense. And then the second part is going to be freedom during offense. So offense is going to be there. So just let you know, every believer, you are going to go through offense. You will never be holy enough to not go through an offense. Um, but offense is a good thing, uh, I believe, and we'll go through that. So part one, deliverance from offense. And 1 Timothy 1.18 is where I want to start in. And it says this, Timothy, my son. So this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, 
talking to Timothy in, in his sonship. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. So we have to understand that we're in a good fight in our faith. You might feel like you're losing in some things, but a good fight is not a fight that's easy. A good fight is a fight that you win, right? You can go through a fight and all that stuff happens, but you know that you win at the end of it. And so we understand from what the Bible says that we don't war against flesh and blood. We know that we wage war against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so when we learn that our fight is not against flesh and blood, when it comes to this area of offense, okay, there's an offense happening. And if I stay stuck looking at the flesh and blood that might be offending me, I will miss what God is trying to teach me. Because oftentimes you'll discover, and you probably already have, that it's the flesh and blood that really offends us. It's another person. It's what they did. It's how they did it. It's how they're not changing from it. It's the simple fact that we are offended at what we can see and what has been done for us without understanding that there's something bigger at play that needs to be worked out in us that keeps us free from the toxic, toxicity of what an offense can do in our hearts if we harbor it, if we hold on to it, because no one is immune from it. So let me read uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. All right? So 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. All right. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And these are where the strongholds are and these are what they are. We demolish arguments. So the strongholds are the arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience. That's us. Every act of disobedience, when we have arguments or pretensions or things that happen when we start fighting a flesh and blood battle instead of a spiritual battle, that we begin to become ready to punish every act of disobedience in our lives once our obedience is complete. So we actually punish disobedience when we obey the word of God to fight not against flesh and blood, but, but with the powers, the divine truth of God to demolish arguments and every pretension that comes up in the midst of an offense. Again, Timothy is being encouraged by a spiritual father in his life that you're fighting a good fight and the way you fight this is through understanding the prophetic words about you. So whatever Timothy was going through, it was the prophetic in him that was causing him to have something to fight with against offenses, against other things that would look to capture his heart. Ephesians 6.10, we can turn to that. 
and this is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So again, just to further uh, reiterate, is that every single one of us has been engaged in spiritual warfare from the moment we've been born. And because of that, there is a, a history and a longevity with the Lord that causes us to understand, okay, there are going to be things that happen in my life that are outside of my control, but everything inside my heart, I get to gauge, I get to determine, okay, I'm going to believe this truth and I'm going to guard myself or I'm going to fight against these lies coming in to set themselves up against the knowledge of God because I, I can easily believe that it, this offense is justified, that this offense, I should live with this thing. I should allow this offense to cause me to be weary of these type of people or this uh, ethnicity or this or, or mothers and fathers or brothers and sisters because we've been offended by flesh and blood. Therefore, we guard ourselves and guard our flesh from other flesh and blood. We, we, we fight against those things and we end up losing relationships, losing peace, losing confidence, losing sight of our call because we're focused on the flesh and blood stuff instead of the spiritual truths that God has given us to keep us healthy and whole inside of our hearts. No circumstance can change what's going on in you. If you would defend that truth, if you would live that truth, if you would abide in the spirit and cause all the things that don't belong in your spirit or in your heart to stay out. Okay. And so some of the things that I have learned from being delivered myself of offenses, whether before Christ or in Christ, is that you can't fight spiritual warfare in the flesh. You cannot. You will always lose spiritual warfare trying to go about it in the flesh. The enemy will always use flesh to get you to move in the flesh. <laughs> he will use a flesh and blood person to get you to live out your flesh and your carnal life or out those pretensions and arguments in your mind to step out of the spirit and into the flesh so that you can lose that battle. Remember, we're not fighting people. We're fighting forces of wickedness. There are some people who live in and will carry out wickedness. But that doesn't mean I have to live offended. That doesn't mean that you have to live offended. It means that we can live beyond the offenses of people who are living in their wickedness. That has been their choice, but our choice is not uh, made based on what they will do or how they will live. All of us are still gonna be obedient to Christ regardless of what other people are doing. And we have to learn how to live that out every time we're offended, because we will get offended. The hard thing about working through offense is because they're justified. I cannot tell you, you can't be offended by that. You have, you, you have feelings, you have emotions, you have hurts and pains. 
it's justified, but justifying an offense so I can live an offense is never God's way. It's never, never God's intention. So when we understand that we're fighting forces of wickedness that control people, we realize that people aren't the problem. The problem is the problem. When we realize that the problem is the problem, we stop focusing on the person and we say, okay, here is the issue. Here is the injustice. Here is the, the, the thing that we need to tackle. Because sometimes you might be offended by a brother or sister in the Lord. So if they're offending you and you're like, oh, well, I, I don't want to be around them or anything like that. Well, they're a brother and sister in the Lord. They're a part of the body of Christ. So to be offended at them means that there's an open wound in our relationship and we leave it open or we don't tend to it. So it gets infected and it spreads to the rest of the body. And I don't want to be responsible for infecting the body with my offense. I want the body to be whole and to be healed. And so if my brother or sister offends me, I choose to be like, Christ, all right, I'm going to choose to forgive. Even Peter. Peter was like, how many times do I forgive somebody who's offended me? Seven times seven? That was his best answer. And Jesus came back and he's like, 70 times 70. Never stop forgiving because forgiveness is a posture of your heart that keeps your heart free from bitterness and other things that other people may do in your life. So you can be affected, but you don't have to be infected. Okay? Remember, our weapons are the word of God and the spirit of God. So we trust in the word of God in the midst of an offense. We say, okay, God, I'm going to believe this. My feelings, I don't feel this right now. I do not feel like forgiving. I don't feel happy. I feel angry. I feel upset. And what you do is you feel those feelings. You talk to the Lord about those feelings. Don't, don't try to... Uh, administer the word to your soul until you admit that your soul is in trouble because what you try to do and what people have done even in church culture is like oh i won't be offended but they never really deal with they were offended they were hurt by that so they say i will not feel or, or so what they do is they suppress their emotions or they try to control how things affect their soul even David was like, why so downcast, oh my soul? He admitted that there were things going on. And then from that place, he let the Lord minister to him. And then he came out of that trouble of his soul. He came into a place of praise. You can't skip it. Because then you're trusting in what you feel or what you think and not trusting in the word of God. And so we always have to partner with the word of God and the spirit of God in us to hold on to the truth in our storm until we get to walk on the waters in our storm, right? So that we can overcome and we can calm the seas and we can speak against those things when we have the word in us and with us. And lastly, we must demolish arguments when in this time of offense, we must demolish arguments against God's character by walking in God's character. How can we prove that the gospel is real and authentic and powerful if something happens in our lives and we choose not to walk in godly character. We can't say we believe the word and not walk in the character of the word. And so this, this is not to condemn any of us. This is to convict us. Do I believe what I say I believe? And then, yes, I do, but I don't like it. Okay, 
work through that. I don't like what the word says I should do in this moment. Love, pray for my enemies. I don't want to do that. But when you say, I will do that, I will allow the word of God to, to, to capture my soul and we will work this thing out to a place of health and wholeness. That's what God wants us to do. And so prime example for me is in Joseph's life. And that's in Genesis 37, 39, 40, 41, 42 through 47, all those chapters. And what I've learned that's really helped me, and I, I don't know if I've always seen this, is how to find the enemy in flesh and blood battles. And so I don't know if you've ever looked at spiritual warfare when it comes to the life of Joseph and where the enemy is moving through flesh and blood. But I want to take you through that really quickly, really briefly, as we talk about this deliverance from offense. So we all know that Joseph had a dream, and in his zeal and in his passion, he tells his dream to his brothers who weren't really in love with him. They, they didn't have a love for him. So they were part of his family, but they weren't part of the spiritual dynamic of what was happening in his life. And so we see that he tells this, them the dream and they get offended at him. And so what they do is they trick him, put him into a pit and they sell him into slavery. But in this pit, uh, we see in the story as you read it, that the accuser of the brethren is active. I mean, it's, it's in Satan's name that he's accuser of the brethren. What we've done is we always relate that to the body of Christ. And I'm saying that is true. That's accurate. But in this one, we're seeing a, a prophetic example of what it's like in a, in a real family. And so this flesh and blood brothers are allowing the accuser of the brethren to move through them and their flesh comes against the flesh of Joseph and they put him into a pit. So the first kind of things that we might experience even in our own family or even our spiritual family is the accuser of the brethren. When you feel like someone throws you into a pit and does something against your life, that's when you can tell, okay, this is the accuser. They're lowering me. They're lessening my value, my voice in their life. They've put me in a pit so that they can sell me out. And if you've been through that, <laughs> I know I have, you can, you can attest to like, oh, I see that. And so realize that it was the accuser of the brethren moving through brothers and sisters in the Lord or your natural family. Second one is in Potiphar's house. We see that this war, uh, Joseph, he is prospering. He's doing good. He's in bondage or he's been sold out, but he's still, he's still thriving, thriving in ministry, thriving at his job. But then in this new thing, we see that there's a different type of warfare and it's the war with personal temptation or the tempter. We know that the devil, he tempts to sin. He can't force you to sin, but he can tempt you to sin. So if Joseph is living in his offense, this is another opportunity for him to, to, to walk that thing out, to defend himself, to try to do something. But you see, he's not offended at his brothers. He's working through his offense. He's going on to the next stage. So it's like, I don't need another offense in my life but he got another, this warfare. You don't, got, you don't stop going through warfare, spiritual warfare. And so the tempter comes and it's war with personal temptation. It's things that you could gratify the flesh, 
you could get away with. It's easy because nobody else is around. And so you can almost justify being offended at the last thing you went through to live in your flesh in the next test you're going through. Does that make sense? And so, again, we could even see this in our own journeys where it's like, man, I, des I deserve to give out a little bit because I did good in that last test and I should, you know, God's going to forgive me. It's like, I've been through a lot. But what we, can we can't do is we can't, that's, a, that's an argument. That's a pretension. That's something trying to set itself up against the knowledge of God, but we see Joseph modeling, I'm going to punish any disobedience by obeying God in this moment where I could be super offended. Okay, so we got the accuser, we got the tempter, then we go to the prison. Have you ever been unjustly in prison for continuing to do the right thing? There is nothing more offensive, at least to me, to still going through a hard season or a difficult season that I didn't cause, I didn't sin against God, I didn't sin against people. I have a right to be offended by that, that I'm doing what's righteous and still my life is getting all messed up by other people or by the enemy if I can identify it by then. I have a right to be offended, all right? So again, going through a season of imprisonment, this is where you war with the tormentor the tormentor of your soul. It could come through dreams. It could come through just going through the chaos of your mind. Every time you think of that person and what they've done for you, it's like, it's like a cage. It's like, can I, I want to escape this. I want these voices to stop. And, the, and, the, and I don't want to be bitter, but it keeps replaying in my mind. Why? Because there's warfare and it's the enemy's using the memory of those flesh and blood people to torment your soul, to torment your mind. And so we war with feeling lonely. We war with feeling forgotten. Those are the things happening in our emotions. And they're real. Joseph really went through loneliness, betrayal, all those things. And he, let, he felt them all, but he recognized that it's like, okay, this is not against flesh and blood. This is something I got to work through. I know that God gave me a dream and I'm going off of what he said I would do in my life. And so he keeps on moving and a step Painful step after painful step, he moves forward and trusts in the Lord. And I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it, again, we have to understand the emotional dynamic, but also understand that it's spiritual. We cannot get caught in the flesh and blood because as ministers of the gospel, we're always ministering to flesh and blood. We're ministering to flesh and blood people who have trauma in their soul that we have to minister past all that to their spirit. But if we're in our flesh or we're struggling in our soul, it's going to be cluttered and we're, going to, we're not going to see things fully. And so it's about keeping that offense out of us. Not that we can keep ourselves from going through offense, but we have to keep it out of our heart. And that takes work. We have to punish the disobedience that we would do by obeying God in those painful moments. The last one is the palace. And that's a war within ourselves, giving into pride and arrogance or feeling like, okay, I finally, I'm in a good season. So now I like, I finally got out and there's a sense of relief. But in that relief, we can also, you know, begin to stray from what God wants to do. And that's when the enemy becomes the manipulator. We see that with uh, Joseph being promoted and the, and the cupbearer. And what if he would have utilized those connections to try to promote himself. You know what I mean? Sometimes we're trying to get ourselves out of seasons that God has allowed us 
to go through to mature us. So then we're promoted, but with no maturity. And because of that, we don't last long. We don't stay there long. We don't go from glory to glory, faith to faith and strength to strength. We go from faith to stumbling, faith to stumbling. And we go back and forth and we feel like, God, every time I take one step forward, I'm taking 10 steps backwards. That is because there might be some flesh involved that God is trying to break the habit of so that we can move in a greater dimension of grace and by his spirit. So you can't help it, but the enemy will often use those who are closest to you. You cannot help it. He, he knows it's going to be painful. And so he's just going to move through that. And you could, we could demonize family members and people all day, but it's about you. It's really about you. It's your heart. Uh, again, because someone offends you, doesn't give us the right. Um, we can, but it doesn't give us the right to live in offense. If you can love your enemy, salvation will come to your family. That's, that's biblical, and I'm going to show you that. Genesis 50 is a prime example of that. And it says this, and I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. You intended to harm me. He's talking to his family. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. That is the pit. That is Potiphar's uh, house. That is the prison. And that is even in the palace. You intended harm, but God intended that all of that, good and bad, would be for my good. He brought me to this position, this place of authority, so I could save the lives of many people. Could our greatest struggle be God positioning us to see our greatest harvest, to see the greatest amount of salvation ever, if we would just endure? A lot of us, again, we want to enjoy the things of God, but will we endure the things of God? Will we endure the hard, hard stuff to live in the truth of the gospel? In this life, you will have trouble. <laughs> Romans 8, 17, if you're going to suffer with me, you're going to glory with me, but you don't get glory without suffering. And I am an American, but I don't live an American gospel. Danston knows that. I do not live an Amer Americanized gospel. I believe that if I suffer with Christ, I'm going to glory with him. I'm not trying to glory with him and remove myself from suffering. And that's very difficult. That's extremely difficult, no matter where in the world you are. Nobody naturally wants to die, but we've been called to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. So a living sacrifice means that you have to live sacrificially. You have to pick up your cross, you have to deny yourself, and you got to do it daily. So it's a daily dying to self that keeps us offense-free. Let me read the scripture in, um, in Psalms 105. And this is about Joseph. Psalm 105, 17 says this in the New Living Translation. Then he sent someone, this is talking about God, then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. God is often sending us to the place of bondage for other people that we would be the mediator, we would be the prophetic mouthpiece before their season of bondage even begins, before the season of their famine even begins, we're being sent as a forerunner into bondage, into famine, into Egypt, so that we can be that, that prophetic piece 
that keeps people free when they enter into their hardship. And so he says, he sent someone ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. The Lord wasn't testing his brothers, wasn't testing Israel, wasn't testing Pharaoh, wasn't testing Potiphar. He was testing Joseph's character. He was the one with the dream and he was the one with the prophetic solution. And because he stayed unoffended, he was in position that many lives would be saved. That is the power of God through our ability to stay unoffended. And so going quickly, because I want to I wanna honor the time. How do we stay free during an offense? So I talked about that and we're all in agreement, like, yeah, that's it. Like, that's what the Lord wants for us. But how? The Bible says we got to teach people to observe. That's what I just did. We observe what God says. But now we got to teach us to obey. Because if I observe it, it looks good. Hard to do. Now I got to teach you how to do that hard thing. So again, the offense is a stumbling block that is put in the way for the purpose of causing us to trip up to see what we trust in, to determine who we really trust in. And so if I could use the word offense with also conflict, so those words just using them synonymous together, conflict between you, between me, is actually a cry for connection. For those of you who are married, if you've ever been through conflict in your marriage, you realize that's a conflict for the purpose of connection. You wanna connect, but you're conflicted because what you're doing is affecting me and I don't feel connected to you. And there's a conflict, there's, the, there's a problem, there's an issue. If, the con if I make this conflict, it's about you. Eve, you sinned. Or Adam, you were standing by and you let me sin. It's this blame game in conflict that there's no resolution. And so there's division because there are offense and the offenses are justified and you should have did that. You, you know I hate it when you say that or when you do that. I told you I don't like that. But there's this conflict that is actually a cry for connection. So I'm going to share a couple of testimonies. So um, there was this time about four or five years ago. And I, I'm, again, I got to share these stories because these things actually happened in my life. Where uh, my, my wife's father was in our house and we were talking. And he misunderstood something I said. And he's not saved. So... He, he, we're talking and I'm working through stuff and he, and my, I have my daughter there with me. She sit with me on the couch and he begins to curse at me in my house. And so I'm like, Hey, you know, very respectfully, I said, Hey, you're, we're, you're not going to do that. Um, you're not going to disrespect me. I'm not disrespecting you. And my daughter's right here. And so just, so he calmed down a little bit and then started talking a little bit more. And then boom, again, I knew it was the enemy, but I'm talking to my father-in-law. So I'm working through that. And I said, hey, you know what? He started cursing at me again. I said, you're going to have to leave. So I told him to leave. He's threatening to fight me and beat me up in front of my house, cursing in front of my daughter. And I'm like, in the spirit, in this moment, like I'm in the spirit, praise the Lord. And so he actually cut us off of relationship. Uh, he started calling my wife by her last name. He said, I want relationship with you and with the kids, but without uh, 
your, your, that guy being involved. He wouldn't even call me her husband or anything like that. Um, and so it was really painful for us because I told him, I was like, I want to talk this thing out. Um, but he didn't want anything to do with me for three years. And for three years, I was praying, I was believing. It was causing my wife an incredible amount of pain. And she was trusting the Lord, trusting me, but it hurt. So for three years, after three years, just it was a test for me. Remember, it's a test for me. After three years, he has a dream where God gives him this dream where he's holding my wife's heart in his hand and it's hurting. And he realized that he needed to make things right. So he calls us, wants to get on a meeting. I'm like, I have no idea what's gonna happen. My, he has, actually wants my dad to be involved. So my dad comes, it's me and my dad, my wife. And this is right before we're leaving, me and my wife going to Puerto Rico for my birthday. So it was in March, a couple of days before we left. And the Lord said, bring him a gift. So I brought him a gift and we go in. He hugs me, he's weeping. He's hugging both of us. And I'm like, I'm crying. I'm tearing up. Oh my God, I don't know what you're doing. This could have went either way. He ends up repenting, apologizing, saying how he misunderstood it. And he just wants relationship with us again. And so the Lord, after three years though, three years had to wait for that. But the Lord restored our relationship because it was a test for me. Another one is, um, this, this is probably more recent for me. Um, but it was, we discipled people, danced and said, you know, we, we planted a church in, in Camden, New Jersey about four years ago. And uh, we had pioneers that came with us. And so we were discipling them, investing into their life. Their marriages were growing and kids were really being blessed and they were moving in their call, their purpose. And for a while, I noticed there were some things happening where they were offended and I knew it. Because if you've ever been offended, you know when somebody else is offended. <laughs> and so I can identify it. So I was identifying, but I was, I was working through conflict. I kept moving towards them and working through things because their offense started towards another person. And as I was trying to bring reconciliation, the offense turn, turned towards me. And so now I was the one who was causing all the trouble. And so I'm like, man, God, this is really hard because I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm actually helping them. Um, long story short, they ended up stopped coming to our church. There were leaders in our church. They left. And they started gathering people that have left our church because we corrected those people and they just wanted to leave um, biblical correction and all that. And they left and they started gathering these people together that had left already, telling them that we were this and that we were that started slandering us on Facebook and all these things. And actually reaching out to people that we knew that were still in our church to tell them that we were believing false doctrine and all this stuff. And it was like, and the Lord was like, keep your mouth shut. He, he used the scripture. He was teaching me through the scripture um, where Jesus, all the slander and all the things are being said about him, says, just keep your mouth silent. You know, I'll, I'll vindicate. I'll, and, but he hasn't yet. <laughs> There's no vindication that I have seen where it's like the Lord has turned their hearts around. But I pray for them when, I, when I, God gives me the burden and when I see their faces and, and continue to pray. I have to work other people through loving them. And so it's almost like I'm still coming to their rescue, even though they're still coming against us pretty radically and pretty, pretty nasty things. And so again, that test is still happening, but the conflict is a cry for connection. 
And so I know that there's some wounds. I know that there's some issues. But right now, there's, there's no way there's going to be reconciliation yet. But again, from my history with the Lord, it's like he did it there and it took a couple of years. I can endure. I'm not enjoying this by any means. <laughs> but I am enduring it and trusting the Lord in the midst of this. So if, if I realized this in my journey, it isn't Satan that offends us. It isn't people that offend us. It is God who actually offends us. Remember I said, Jesus is the stumbling block. He's putting up offenses in our way. He's allowing them so to determine that if we trip, if we fall over this thing, who are we going to trust in? Are we going to trust in our own ways of coming against people and defending ourselves? Or are we going to trust in his word? Are we going to allow him to be the rock that we stand on and not the one that we keep tripping over? Because again, once you stop stumbling over that, that block of truth or that truth that offends us, then we begin to build the kingdom. Then we begin to build something or build an altar where the Lord's like, you're good, you're faithful. You've been with me throughout this pain, but I'm going to honor you. I'm going to use that stumbling block that I could have kept tripping over, but I took it and I'm saying, this is for you, Lord. I'm building an altar to this truth in my life and I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to actually lay down on this altar. I'm not going to put somebody else's flesh on this. I'm going to put my own flesh on this altar and I'm not going to change the course. I'm going to endure. I'm going to work it through and I'm going to trust in you. The father will offend us until the son is formed in us. The father will offend us until the son is formed in us. He wants his own son, his own image to come out. And he's offending the immaturity in us to get us to live like Christ. And I do not like becoming more like Jesus. It is difficult. <laughs> but when it happens, when it happens in me, there's no greater joy, no greater peace than to know the sufferings of Christ and then the glory of Christ. Because he is a man familiar with sorrow, but he is also the man of salvation. And we cannot have salvation without sorrow. We have to be sorrowful that we've sinned. We have to be, be sorrowful that if we sin now, we can still be walking that saving grace, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. We have to live in that place of great sensitivity to the spirit of God in us. And if we are offended by the things that happen from other people's flesh because the enemy is using or moving through them, I'm not offended at the devil for using people. He's not in control of my heart. I'm not offended at people because they can't control my heart either. I can't be offended at God because he's love, but I can work through my offense as he's showing me like, okay, God, you know, I, I love you too much to be offended at you, but this hurts. And he's like, okay, if this is the cup I need to drink, I wish there was another way, but he's like, there's no other way to become more like Jesus, to become more like my son, drink that cup of sorrow, drink that, eat that bread of affliction, and then become more like me. And so um, I find that those who avoid co conflict will find themselves ill-equipped when conflict arises. If you don't address conflict, the next one that comes, because it will come, you're going to be ill-equipped. And you're going to do everything in your power to always avoid conflict instead of becoming more mature. 
Jesus demonstrated the power to work through conflict by connecting us back to the Father. We were in conflict. We were at, en with, we were at enmity with God. We were enemies. And he said, I'm going to die while you're still sinners, while you're still messing up. I'm going to die. I'm going to get in the gap so I can reconnect you to the Father. He cured conflict by entering in conflict. Matthew 5, 9, we know it says, blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers, peacemakers because they are the sons of God. Peacekeepers maintain connection. Peacemakers master connection. So a lot of people are just like, I'm going to keep the peace. And they just maintain. They just, as long as you're happy and I'm happy, that doesn't even work in marriage. <laughs> you're not always going to be happy in marriage, but you can be holy in marriage. And so, it's, so it's, it's mastering connection, but it takes a peacemaker trusting in the power of God through the aspects of peace that determine that we can master connection. My mastery of connection is to the Father, even when flesh and blood is acting up. We must confront to connect. Being rooted in love, when you make these hard choices and choose to be free in the midst of conflict, being rooted in love gives you courage to confront. So if you feel like I'm not courageous right now, just get deeply rooted in love. God, you love me. You've addressed my conflicts. I'm going I'm to trust you. Don't flinch during conflict. Love is what's going to cement the connection. So don't flinch. If you're in love and moving in love, even if those people run away, walk away, stray, you're, you're, you're cemented in your connection to God and towards people. Don't be afraid of tension. Tension often tightens connection. So when you feel those things really tight, it's just, it's tightening things up. It's not always a bad thing. And it is the love of God in our hearts that keeps offense outside of our hearts. So if you put more of the love of God in your heart and just like, God, I'm trusting you, it'll keep all the other things out. There'll be no room for offense when the love of God is fully capturing your heart. We're delivered from offenses and stay free during offenses by loving those who've offended us. When we make the choice to say, I'm going to love you either way. You offended me. You hurt me. I forgive you. I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to live with that in my heart. I'm not going to be in a cage and, that, and you're not going to control me. I'm not going to let the pain control me. When an offense, say an offense has rooted in you, in me or anybody here, when offense roots, the only way to uproot it is to recognize we've offended God's love. You're not offending your ability to love because you're not that good at loving. <laughs> no one is perfectly good at loving. You're actually offending the love of God that lo he loves you with, which is immeasurable, which is from everlasting to everlasting. He loves you with eternal love, not temporary. And so you're actually offending God's love. You're saying, I I don't want it. I reject your love that would actually give me the power to love people who've offended me. And so it's that difficult thing that's like, okay, I have to fess up. I have to admit I'm not being like Christ in this moment. You don't want to be a better version of you in offense. You want to be like Christ, conforming to the love and the likeness of Jesus because he is the perfect model. My pastor's not a perfect model. You're not a perfect model. Dance is not a perfect model. I'm not a perfect model. We are not the perfect model. It's the spirit in us. It's the spirit through us. It's the spirit. It's the spirit of God, the spirit of love. And when we turn to God in that, despite we're flesh and blood, and we're able to love God through flesh and blood, 
that's when we overcome. That's where we're unoffendable. And so that's uh, everything from me. I pray that that blessed you guys. Um, really, really grateful to share on this thing, this topic, this truth that I've actually lived through, as you can tell. Um, but I still have the joy of the Lord in my heart uh, because I've walked this road with him.